0: Well, you guys came back. I'm so happy to hear that as we're continuing in our series from this day forward. Uh, we started last week, talked about how we're seeking God together, and there was one piece of advice a friend gave to me last week after church. And they said, You need to tell everybody when you're doing a marriage series that you don't turn and look at your spouse, you look straight ahead. You don't elbow, you don't nudge, don't, you know, grab legs or anything like that. When it's you, you just sit there and pretend like it's speaking to someone else. And when it's your spouse, you just sit there and pretend like it's speaking to someone else. So this is a safe place for us to be able to uh, learn about marriage and what it is that God's called us to. And the reason we're calling this series from this day forward Is because every single one of us, we've made mistakes in life, we've made mistakes in marriage. Uh, We might be at a place right now of complete brokenness, of where the marriage is dead, heading towards divorce. But what we can do is we can say we can't change the past. That's happened, there's nothing that we can do about that. But we can change the future of our marriage. And so from this day forward... We are going to live in a new way. From this day forward, we are going to live so that we can have the kind of marriage that God has called every one of us to have. And so last week, we talked about seeking God together, and hopefully you guys are continuing. Any of you guys start doing the praying together, reading the Bible together, talking about it, attending church? Obviously, you attended the church today, so... Good job on on that for week one. If you started that but fell off on it, I encourage you to get back on that because it will make all the difference in the world in your marriage. Remember last week we talked about couples that pray together. A fraction of 1% of them end in divorce. 50% of all marriages end in divorce, but for people that pray together, that's a fraction of 1%. So if you want to do one thing that's going to make your marriage strong and stick, start praying together. And we talked about it's awkward. You don't know where to start sometimes, but just start somewhere. If you've fallen off, get back on that because it will just produce incredible dividends inside of your marriage. And this week, we're going to talk about fighting fair. Have you guys ever had a fight with your spouse? Ever? Anybody ever had a fight with your spouse? A lot of unmarried people here. A whole lot of unmarried people. (laughs) Have you guys had a fight in this last week? Maybe on the way to church, one person raised their hand and they're by themselves. <laughs> Might not have gone well. <laughs> Here's the thing I've noticed. Have you guys, like for my wife and I, our biggest fights always happen on the way to church. I have no idea why that happens. Uh, yeah, you do. And I think I do understand some of it. In fact, my wife and I, we don't drive to church because you know she has, uh, she's taking care of our kids in the morning, getting them going, and I'm getting here early to set up uh, so we don't drive together. But it used to be when we did drive to church together, you'd be sitting there, and this is how it would start, is I'd be sitting in the car, because I am, for me, 15 minutes early is on time. Anything after that is late. If you're gonna be late, don't even bother going, because I'm not gonna suffer the embarrassment of walking in late. That's just my personality type. So I'm sitting there in the car, and it's like, we got to get going. Like, where's my wife? Come on, we got to go. She's holding me up. She's holding me up. This woman the Lord gave me, it's her fault. And so I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, come on, we got to go, we got to go. And then I think, I know what will help. I'm going to honk the horn. <laughs> and I don't know, my dad's sitting here front row, and he's like, I wonder where he got that from. Called him out on it. And so I'll honk the horn, and that does not help. But every time I think it's going to help for some reason. I never learn this. And so that makes her mad. And then I think it makes her actually slow down because she's trying to prove a point. And so I'm honking the horn more and she's probably yelling from inside the house. And then she'll come out the door and she'll try it like she's all dignified and not bothered by it. So I'll wait until she's right in front of the car and one more time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of it then she gets in the car and we're driving to church to go worship Jesus and you know I'm serving on church staff and I'm like you're always making me late you always do this to me and now we're going to be late and blah 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 and she's like blah, blah 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 and we're you know we're fighting on the way there and I'm like you could not be on time if your life depended on it she's like why does it matter why are you so insecure why do you care what people think blah 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 and so we're going back and forth and we pull in the church parking and I'm like so help me God to get out of the car hey God bless you guys God bless you life is good Every day is a day in paradise. <laughs> and then we get back in the car after church, you know, we're right back at it. On, so why is it that we fight? We have this, this wonderful, our soulmate, the person that, oh, they complete me. Remember we talked about that. You're so excited. And you're standing there on your wedding day and you're gazing into each other's eyes, holding hands, pledging to love and to cherish each other. You never think we're going to be honking the horn and yelling at each other because we're running like three seconds late for church. Why does that happen? Why do we fight? I think the answer to that, we get a glimpse of it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is God's intention for marriage. We're coming together as a man and a woman, and we're not just two people that are living together, we become one flesh. Body, soul, spirit. We become one. It's no you anymore. It's, it's us. It's we're together. There's no me without Anna. There's no Anna without me. Amen. We are one flesh. That's God's plan. That's his intent for marriage, and it is good. Amen. So what does Satan want to do? Yeah. He opposes God in everything. Yeah. So if God's plan is to take two different people and unite them into one, what is it that Satan wants to do to you? Exactly, he wants to pull you apart. Yeah. He wants to divide you. Yeah. He wants to cause separation to be there. And it all goes back even into Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man is talking about these are the effects of sin now in the world. One of the effects of sin is it says that now, instead of living as one flesh, not being the natural desire and the natural state in which we exist, it says that we're going to be vying with each other for dominion over each other. Mm-hmm. Our desire is going to be to control each other. Our desire is going to be to have our way. And it's a brilliant plan. It works well. Over 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and of those that stay together, the vast majority are unhealthy and they're unhappy. But that's not the way that God created our marriages to be. He created us to be one. But we fight because we have a sin nature. And John Gottman, who's a brilliant researcher, uh, you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. I am getting way ahead of myself. Let me back up. So this is how we approach our fights: is uh, we come in here and we look at because Satan's now caused division to exist between us. What we start to do is we start to have a wrong view of our marriage and relationship itself. Uh, we are fighting the wrong enemy. Mm. How many of you have thought of your spouse as the enemy? I must be the worst pastor in the world. <laughs> but there's been times where I've looked at the woman that God gave me, his provision for me, his gift to me, and I thought, if I just got rid of her, you know, God, if you could just work on her heart and change her so that she could be like me. I t- I've told her this before, you know, we only fight when you're wrong. That does not go well. Do not ever say that, even in jest. It does not work out well for you. But so many times, what happens is we view our spouse not as God's provision, not as one with us, but we view them as the problem. We view them as the enemy to our marriage and the enemy to our life, and even the call of God on us. But they are not the enemy, Satan is the enemy. He is the only enemy that we have. He is the only enemy that we contend with. And the greatest trick that he's pulled on us is he comes in as our enemy, he brings destruction inside of our marriage, and then he fools us into taking our eye off him and looking at our spouse as the problem. You will never solve the problem when you don't know who the enemy is. When you're fighting your ally, you will never have victory over the true enemy of your soul. But that's what we do. We have to know who our enemy is. It says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the spirit. Our battles in the spiritual. Some people might say, well, I love my spouse's body. I just hate their spirit. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> our enemy is the Satan. And he's the one who's destroying our marriage. It's not your spouse. And then number two is we are driven by the wrong motives. When we fight, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get our way. We're fighting to be right. We're fighting to get what it is that we want. But what we've been called to fight for is unity. God brought us together and made us one. We shouldn't fight so that we can have dominion over the other person. We should be sacrificially laying ourselves down for them. We should be submitting ourselves to them, not fighting over them. But we always have to come back to that. What is the motive? Are we fighting to be right and to get our way? Or are we fighting so that we can be one like God has called us to be? We have to fight for unity. And then we are using the wrong tactics. We don't fight fair. We fight dirty. Now, there's going to be fights. There absolutely will be because we're two fallen people trying to exist as one. There's going to be some issues. But that doesn't mean that you have to fight in the wrong way. You can fight in a good and in a healthy way. But that's not the way that the flesh in you wants to fight. That's not the way that the world around us fights. Now getting to John Gottman, who's a brilliant researcher on marriage, and he spent 16 years studying couples and the way it is that they fight. And what he discovered is that there's two ways that you fight. One is that there's a healthy way to fight, and then there's a dirty way to fight. And he would be, he's now able to look at a couple, videotape of them fighting, which I know was we're here, watch some video of us fighting. But he's able to watch just five minutes of a couple having a fight and predict whether they will get divorced or ta- stay together with 91% accuracy. From watching a couple fight just for five minutes. And what he says is the problem isn't that we fight. Every couple does. The problem is in the way that we're fighting each other. And this is what he says. He says there are four ways that you aren't fighting fair and that will lead you to divorce or to an unhealthy marriage. And the first one is criticizing. When you're constantly criticizing your spouse, there's a difference between a complaint and criticism. A complaint means that there is one specific issue that you need to bring resolution to. There's nothing wrong with that. There are going to be issues that need resolution inside of your marriage. Stick to that issue. Criticism is when you make an assassination of that person's character. Uh-huh. You're not talking about one issue. You're talking about their character and their personality. That's so when, like my wife and I, one of our fights was she, been, she can't turn a light off to save her soul. Like I have learned this about her. My job now in marriage is I just go around in the house turning off lights. This, this is me. <laughs> I just follow her around, turning off lights. But for years, this was like, and I'm like, why can't like, you know, the first time I was like, hey, dear, could you just, you know, try to turn off the lights, just want to do our part to keep the earth green, you know, save it for our grandchildren. She said, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then the lights are on. I'm like, hey, uh, so we talked about maybe turning the lights off. You think we could work on that? Oh, yeah, sure. And then, you know, like five years later, when every light in the house is still on, I'm like, you cannot turn a light off. You will never do it. You never have in your entire life, and you never will. I've moved from a complaint to a a criticism. I've assassinated her character. I've said that she has a personality that is incapable of doing something. And she does the same for me. My thing is, like, I'd go to bed and just take my clothes off and throw them on the floor. And it's like, hey, do you think maybe you could put your clothes in a hamper? I'm, oh, yeah, sure, not a problem. Next, like, you know, next day, the clothes are still there. What we've learned is that neither one of us are ever going to change. Every light will be on our house, and my clothes will be on the floor. It's <laughs> totally trashed. But that's the reality of our house. Well, what happens is criticism then moves into Contempt. And contempt is this. It's a set of behaviors that communicate disgust to your spouse. So it went from me just like, hey, you, think you can turn the lights off once in a while. No, you never could. You'll never turn off the lights. So to then it turned into, I just go over to the light that was on and I just wait there and look at her. And I look at the light switch and I look back at her and then the light switch again. I'm like, how do you think that makes her feel? Not real good. It's the rolling the eyes. And that's one we've all done. Like, oh my gosh, you ever get dizzy? You've rolled your eyes so much? (laughs) Or for me, another one is the sigh. I was like, (sighs) but we're doing nonverbal things to communicate that we have contempt for our spouse. And when you do that, there's no going back. You will never reach resolution. You will never bring health. No matter how much you roll your eyes, your at your partner, you will never bring health to your relationship through those things. Yeah. Yeah. And then it moves on from contempt where we're mocking them, ridiculing them, doing whatever else it might be to belittle them and show how much we have disgust for them and their behavior, what this issue is, and we move into Defensiveness. So when I'm telling Anna, it's like, hey, you can't leave the light on. You'll never be able to leave a light on, blah, blah, blah. And then she gets defensive. So she's like, well, I'm trying to take care of all the kids. How come you never take care of the kids? So now we've gone from that to like, it's it's like, it's my fault that she can't turn a light on. And I'll do the same thing to her. I'll be like, I've been working all day. I just want to play my clothes right there on the floor. Why do I have to walk into the bathroom and throw them on the damper? It's because of you that I even do this. That's the defensiveness comes in. And then that leads to the fourth phase of this, stonewalling. And that's where one of you just completely tunes out the other person, and you don't even care what they're saying. You have checked out. <laughs> and studies find that when someone's stonewalling, 85% of the time, it's the husband. Wow. 85% of the time, the husband, just gets to the point of where they don't care, they don't want to talk, And whether it's their issue that they just don't want to talk about it anymore or whether it's an issue that they have with their wife, you know what's happened now is you've gone from a complaint where you're trying to bring uh, an issue to resolution to now you're fighting about how you fight. You're fighting about the personality of each other. You're fighting about things that happened 100 years ago. You're not even close to reaching resolution to what this was originally about. You're just divided against each other. And now you get to the point where someone's still lonely and they've checked out and they said, I don't even care anymore. Just stop talking. I don't want to hear this. I don't even want resolution in this area. Just leave me alone. And that leads to divorce. And even if you stick together because you're committed to Jesus or to your children whatever else it is, you're not going to have a healthy marriage that way. You're not going to have the kind of marriage that God called you to have. You're not going to have a marriage that reflects the love of Jesus to the world that's around us. Those are the unhealthy, dirty ways that we fight. And you know what is so sad? I already told you guys, I can relate to every single one of those. I can see myself too much in the ways that we fight dirty. And I think we all can. Every married person, you can look and you can say, yeah, you know what? I've, I've been <laughs> critical instead of having a complaint about a specific issue. I've shown contempt towards my spouse. I've been defensive and I've stonewalled. All of these things are a part of what happens inside of us because we still have a flesh man that keeps trying to rear their head inside of us and we want to live the way that the world around us lives. And remember, the question we were asking in this series is, can we have a great marriage? Is it even possible for us to have one? Well, if we continue to live the way that the world lives around us, we can't have a great marriage. If we continue to fight the way that comes natural to us, the way that is a part of the sinful, fallen nature that we inherited, if we continue to fight the way that everyone else around us fights, then we're not going to have a great marriage. We have to find a different way. Unfortunately for us, God has addressed this. He's given us hope. He's given us direction. Think about this. The Bible even tells us how we're supposed to handle conflict with each other it really addresses so many things and this is what it says this is the way that god wants us to fight fair in james chapter 1 verses 19 through 20 it says everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that god desires so god's rules for fighting fair the first one it says is that everyone should be quick to listen that's stop and listen carefully That's the first thing James says, is that we need to be quick to listen. Now, we are not a people who by nature are quick to listen. We're quick to talk. We're quick to show our anger and our frustrations towards each other. The last thing we want to do is listen to the person that we're having conflict with. We just want to prove that we're right. We want them to know our opinion on things. We want to set the record straight. We want to show them so graciously where they have erred so that we can bring light to them in that we are anything but quick to listen. We don't even listen at all, really. When you think about how we are texting, have you guys ever been, you know, your spouse is trying to talk to you and you're sitting there and you're trying to text someone else and they're talking and you're texting my wife is nodding. Remember the rules I talked about? You can't nudge me. <laughs> but I'll be that happens to me. Like I'll be trying to text someone in the church. I'm like, yeah, I was do this guy's real quick, and she's trying to tell me, bear her heart to me. I'm like, yeah, I can and I think like I can do both at once. I think I'm the only guy in the entire world that can multitask. <laughs> or another thing is, I'll be reading in bed, and, and she'll come in, and, and she'll come home from work late or something, and I'm sitting there reading, and, and she'll start wanting to tell me about her day. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. And I'm trying to read, and she wants to just share with me what it is that's going on inside of her life and inside of her heart, and I don't even listen. And I have to think, no. You have to set the book down. You have to stop texting. You just need to give your spouse some attention. Validate them and who they are and that you actually love them and care about them by giving them the courtesy of just listening to them yes. undistracted. Yes. Yes. And then here's the other thing. I'm a fixer, so she'll start telling me about something, and before I, like, she'll get one word out, I'm like, here's what you need to do. All she said was the, and I'm like, all right, here's the problem. i got a three-step process for you. There are three points I'm going to make from Scripture today that will help you walk through this situation. That is not helpful. And then the other part is that I'm always... Not just am I like, trying to fix the problem for her, but I'm even trying to tell her what the problem is before she finishes a sentence. I'm trying to finish the sentence for her. I'm like, okay, here's what it is, it is, because like, I just want to get to it so fast. And I'll get it wrong so many times because I'm just not listening to her. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions give me the fool hat <laughs> that's one of those convicting verses to me but that's human nature isn't it how many times has your spouse come to you and they want to share a problem that they have or something that's on their heart they bring up something they want to bring some resolution to but you don't even take the time to understand what it is that they're saying and the bible says that if that's you you're a fool Again, not one of your life verses that you're going to put on your fridge (laughs) or put in the signature of your emails. Fools don't care what anybody is saying. They just want to say what they want to say. They want to validate themselves by speaking and not understanding. And when we do that, we bring breakdown in the relationship. This is what we need to do, and this is one of the things, I don't remember, it was in one of the classes in Bible school, they were talking about counseling stuff, and it's really beautiful, and it's something I I try to put into practice in my marriage, sometimes better than others, but I just need to actively listen to Anna when she's speaking to me and then repeat what she said to me. It's brilliant. If I just repeat back what she said to me, then I actually can confirm that I understand what the heck she's talking about a lot of times I'll repeat it back to her and she's like, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't get into a big debate over this then. Let's figure out what we're really talking about here before we duke it out. <laughs> and then after you understand what they're saying, just validate them by saying, I can understand how that would make you feel this way. You don't have to say that. I'm going to make major life changes right now based on this, but just give them the validation of repeating back to your spouse what it is that they said to you and then showing them that you can actually understand how that might make them feel that way. When I do that to Anna, she gets little tears in her eyes because she's so happy, like God's done such an amazing work in my heart to take me from the fool I once was to the half fool that I am now. (laughs) And what God started in me, he will finish. Someday I will be no fool. I'll be in heaven with Jesus, but someday I will get there. But when we do this, it makes it so that we're not just fighting about fighting. We're fighting about an issue that we're actually working to bring resolution to. If we don't do that, then how can we possibly have resolution? We have to stop and listen. What are you saying? I value you enough to listen to you. I value you enough to try to understand how it is that you're feeling. And then number two, guard your words faithfully. The verse says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Wow! Again, we're not slow speakers. We start talking. We love talking. We got more words than we have sense in our head. But the Bible says that we need to be quick about our listening and we need to be slow about what it is that we're actually saying. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. That's what Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says. Think about that. Watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. How many conflicts have you had and just all-out brawls that brought tears in your marriage were over something where you should have just kept your mouth shut? Like, it just wasn't worth it. Why do you have to fight about this? Is this something that even really matters? Like one of the things that is like a fight for us is Anna likes to clean the house. I don't understand. why anybody not want to clean house, uh, <laughs> but she always wants to make sure if we're going away. Like, are the dishes done? And we'll be driving somewhere. And say, did you do the dishes? And I'm like, uh, no, no, I didn't get them done. And then she's upset, and I'm like, Anna, like if someone breaks into our house, I'm not concerned that they find a clean kitchen sink. <laughs> like, who are we trying to impress? You know what? Saying that doesn't help. (laughs) It just brings more conflict to it. There are things, and we actually just had this discussion a couple weeks ago, where it was like, she told me, you know, instead of always pointing out to me, if it bugs you so much, why don't you just take care of it yourself and keep your mouth shut? And I'm like, that's actually really biblical advice. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? I'm the Bible teacher. And it was like one of those convicting moments where it was like one of those things. I was like, we've been working on this for 12 years now, and like, this is still so happening. Like, just do it then. If it bugs you so much, just do it. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, but don't say anything about it. And I'm like, that's harder. <laughs> that's much, much harder for me. I really like to say things and do the sigh. <sighs> but here's two questions you should always ask yourself about the conflict. Is, should it be said? Is it even worth it? Is this something that really needs to be brought up? Is this a conflict that you guys need to have a fight over? Is this something that there needs to be resolution to come hell or high water? Or can you just live with this? Can you just go around and turn off the lights? Can you just throw the clothes in the hamper without having to say anything about it? And then number two is, should I say something now? And that's a big one. There are some times when something needs to be addressed. I have found that when it's at a family get-together in front of all of your family and all of your friends is not the best time to bring up this issue publicly. When you're in the middle of a heated fight about something, that's maybe not the best time for you to bring up this concern that you have. Is it worth saying... And should you say it now, or is there a more opportune time when you will have better chances of reaching resolution about this conflict? This is something Ann and I do. and uh, We try to find uh, non-conflict times to bring up some of the things that we need to have some resolution to in our marriage. So when we've just had a great day and gone out for a date and had dinner and the kids are all smiling and calling us blessed and everything else, <laughs> then I'll be, this is how I start out hey, what's something I'm doing that you really like? What am I doing that blesses you? then she'll tell me something like, when you do the dishes, it just really blesses me. Like, it makes me so happy. So you know what I do? I'm like, I'm smart. I'm going to do the dishes. And my wife's going to be all lovey-dovey because I want to do something. Like, what's something that really makes you happy when I do this? Because that's like cushioning for the next question. (laughs) What's something I can do That will bless you, or what's something I can work on in our marriage? And that gives her the opportunity to speak something to me when we're not having a conflict about it. Because when you're in the middle of a conflict and they bring something up, that just heightens it even more, usually for us. But when you're having a good day, when you're not in conflict, and you start out by saying, Tell me how wonderful I am, and then saying, Now tell me how terrible I am. What's something I can do to improve our marriage? That makes it so that we can have resolution to issues without having to go through the conflict first. And you have to have some thick skin. You asked for it, so receive it. And don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell them you only do it because they do blah, blah, blah. Don't bring up something else. Just receive what it is that they have to say. And then do your best to bring resolution to that. And then when you do get in fights, because this won't prevent you from having conflict, you need to have some ground rules in your conflicts. And these are some of them. You can make your own list, but these are just some really great ones for you. Number one, never call names. Unless you've got like a pet name for each other, like Pookie or Boo or something like that. (laughs) Idiot, moron, stupid, those don't help in conflict. Do not call names. And then never raise your voice. That's a hard one. Because what we do is you think, if if I just spoke louder, they would understand me. Come on, come on, and so you raise your voice, and then they raise their voice, and then you raise your voice, and then you're screaming at each other, and your neighbors are calling the cops. <laughs> Raising your voice just makes you become more defensive. It doesn't position you to receive from someone when they're yelling at you. Be gentle in the way that you do this. And then don't get historical. You don't have to have it the record. Remember back in 1982? It was July 7th. And you said, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. When you're having a conflict, when there needs to be resolution, make it about that. Don't make it about the last 20 years of your marriage and what's been going on. That will never help. And then, uh, never say never or always. Number one, because that's a lie. My wife has turned off a light before. I'm sure of it. (laughs) When you say, you'll never be able to turn off lights, or you always do this. It's a lie, and that doesn't help bring reconciliation. That just puts them on the defensive even more. Never intimidate and never use violence. Never. Jesus, when Peter has denied him three times, this is as bad of a thing as you can possibly do to someone. When they meet each other after the resurrection, Jesus doesn't like, Know, bumped Peter with his chest. Like, how could you do that to me? You know, he's not like walking him down. He doesn't haul off and smack him. When you do that, that's what Satan does. Yes. When you intimidate your spouse, when you abuse them, you are the tool of Satan. Yes. Yes. And there's a price to pay for that. Yes. That will never help. That only brings death and destruction inside of your marriage, and it'll bring death and destruction in your relationship with God. Jesus even says that your, he's talking to people, says, Your prayers aren't being answered because of the way that you're treating your wives. Your relationship with God is dependent upon the way that you are treating your spouse. Never, ever forget that one. And never threaten divorce. That never helps. Remember, we're a people. We're committed for life. We made a covenant before God and a preacher and our friends and family. We said that we were going to love them till parted by death. So never, ever threaten divorce. And never quote your pastor during a fight. You guys got into it. Leave me out of it. (laughs) I want no part in your fight. And then handle your anger righteously. Says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. It says you can't even go to sleep until you've resolved the issue that's going on. So that means that if you get in a fight late at night, you better be quick to forgive. Because it's going to be a long night. But here's something I've discovered the later the night gets, the more willing you are. I'll forget, I don't care. We're good. By 3 a.m., Ann and I usually have resolved all of our conflicts. But it's so important, and and this is, I, I know it sounds funny, but we have to resolve our conflicts before we go to bed with our spouses. Because if we don't, it says that we create a foothold for Satan inside of our marriage. Just because you went to sleep and woke up and went to work doesn't mean the problem's resolved. No, if it wasn't resolved before you went to sleep and then went off to work, it means that now there's a foothold that Satan has inside of your life. And a foothold is a powerful thing. Tomorrow is the anniversary of D-Day where for the Battle of Normandy, there were 209,000 allied casualties. 209,000 people to take a beach. Why would we be willing to pay such a high price for a beach? The beach wasn't worth it. But what it did was it gave the allies allies a foothold. A foothold that the Axis powers were not able to drive us out of. And because of that foothold, Mm -hmm. the allies were able to go in and conquer all of Europe. but It started with this one tiny, tiny little beach in France. The devil only needs the smallest of footholds inside of your marriage. And once he has that, the longer he's there, the harder it is to drive him out, and the easier it is for him to expand and to capture more areas of your heart, more areas of your marriage, more areas of your relationship with Jesus. Until the point where he has completely conquered you. We cannot let that happen. Do not give the devil a foothold. And in your anger, it doesn't say that it's wrong to become angry, but it says that in your anger, do not sin. And today you might be here, and you and your spouse have been fighting dirty. We all have. I'm not saying that to try to bring shame or condemnation on any of us. It's because I just want us to be able to admit that, to be able to confess the fact that we've been living apart from God's design for marriage. That we've been living apart from God's holy call on us to fight for unity. And so many times we've allowed Satan a foothold inside of our hearts and inside of our marriages. But from this day forward, we can change things from this day forward, we can be committed to stopping fighting dirty and starting to fight fair. Deciding that we are going to be quick to listen. That we're going to be slow to speak. Decide that we're going to handle our anger righteously. That we're going to honor Jesus in our marriage by the way that we honor each other. If you're here today and Satan has that foothold, or if there's just been destruction inside of your marriage, maybe you're recognizing that there's a foothold that needs to be driven out, or maybe Satan has swept through your marriage and it is absolutely in shambles, it's in pieces. What I want you to know is that from this day forward, there's hope for you. Because this is what we believe. This is so central to our faith as Christians, is that we believe that with Jesus, all things are possible. It's not, it can't just be something that we quote. It can't be something we put on bumper stickers and on refrigerator magnets. It can't be something that we think applies to other people or in just these areas. We believe that with Jesus, all things are possible. And that we believe that in Jesus, that all marriages can be healed. Every single one of them. We believe that with Jesus, your marriage, my marriage, can be healed. And that we can live the way that God's called us to. And you know who it starts with? It doesn't start with your spouse, it starts with you. Let's pray together this morning. I encourage you if, if your spouse is here with you this morning, just grab their hand. We're seeking God together. Remember, that's our first commitment. God, we ask that you would come this morning, that you would search our hearts and that you would know us. God, would you reveal to us any area of sin, any way that we've been fighting against you, any way that we've been fighting against our spouse and dishonoring them, ways that we've been fighting dirty. And God, we pray for your holy conviction that we would believe that things can be different, that we would hear your voice calling us to something better, calling that holy call that you have for every one of us, Jesus. We believe that it's possible in our lives and in our marriages. And Jesus, would you forgive us of our sins, forgive us for the ways that we fought against our spouse, God, for any contempt that we've had, God, for the critical spirit that we might have had towards them. Jesus, we pray that you would work on our stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we pray for a hope. Would you give us vision of the marriage that you've called us to, the life that you've called us to together? Jesus, give us a vision of that, that we can put our faith in that, that that can be what we start fighting for. And God, this morning we repent of fighting against each other and we fight for each other now. We fight for unity in our marriage. We ask that you would rebuke the enemy and all of his plans and purposes in our lives. And God, that through the Holy Spirit, you would draw us together, that we would truly be one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship God this morning. I encourage you, continue to let him speak to you and to shape your heart and to make you like him.